Welcome back, everybody. Uh, this week, Eric joins us again, and we talked a lot about... What did we talk about? Oh, <laughs> whether you'd erase the Nazis, of course. Um, and uh, choice, free will, and all those kinds of interesting things. So, I'll just leave it at that. N- no need for a long introduction, and enjoy. Okay, welcome everybody. We are a couple of minutes late, but we just wanted to see if everybody would hang around because we're that cool. No, I'm kidding. Um, I also get annoyed when streams are late, but it is what it is. We had to have a little bit of social time before we came on here. But if you are joining us, we are happy. Uh, if you're not, you can watch it back later. And if you are here, throw some comments into the chat to say hi. And uh, we wanted to bring back Eric again because we were kind of getting on a roll with a fun conversation last week. And then I, like an authoritarian, cut the stream. Um, But we ended up actually talking just off the stream for another good while afterwards. So we were like, yeah, if we all have time, let's let it roll if we need to. If we don't, we'll end it after an hour, but just depends on how interesting this gets and how spicy it gets so welcome tim welcome jacob i see you guys there um but yeah i guess one of the things that we'd gotten talking about last week in regards to morality um was just you know a bunch of rabbit rabbit holes about like where morality comes from if it is a thing like some moral dilemma questions that we want to get into so um, so yeah that's what we're gonna do so how are you guys What's going on with you for the watchers besides what we were talking about? I'm good. <laughs> okay, good. Um, so I, I want to just, I'll, I'll kick it off with sort of this, this thought question that you posed last week that we were all kind of thinking about. Um, but, or maybe you want to kick it off. Go ahead and explain what you, your little scenario that you were. Thinking. Okay. So, the tagline for this episode obviously is would you remove evil if you could for those who happen to be listening to this as it comes up in their queue and they don't know the title. Um, and what prompted this idea and the, uh, great thumbnail artwork that Emily put together, uh, I think it m- might have been based on Manly's idea, but I'd, I'm not sure now. <laughs> that sounds right, but um, and uh, was the the idea of the balance between empathy and justice, um, such that um, if you had a button where you could um, during World War II delete all the Nazis in one stroke, maybe even painfully delete them. They would just all die, uh, regardless of what they were doing. Um, Maybe it's deadly accurate and it's only the most adherent Nazis, you know, it reads their mind and reads their evil intentions, or it just deletes everybody who, who happens to have a swastika on their arm, right? And that gets more complicated. Right, it gets it gets into our administration of justice. 
that we use to protect the innocent, right? And would you do it? And is that the the empathetic thing to do? Because on the last episode, we were talking an awful lot about what is empathetic to the people who do horrible things. How should they be treated? And in that instance, it, it's like a whole bunch of death penalties administered all at once. But you save, what, 10 million people, 10 million innocent people, basically innocent people, comparatively, by that administration of justice. Yeah. Is that your place? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, hey, Matthew, fellow podcaster, uh, he says, I would not delete the Nazis, but I suppose I would try and save the victims. So how how would you do that? Would you care to expand on that? Anybody else have thoughts on this? I, I guess my initial thought is like, okay, first of all, first of all, it is very difficult to meet out justice as a like a fellow human, right? Because uh, <laughs> at the end of the day, maybe we haven't exterminate tried to exterminate an entire race, but we're all hypocritical in some aspect of our lives. So, like, I guess the point where you're taking people out for things that you wouldn't do, but somebody else might take you out for something they wouldn't do. So that's a little sketchy. But then also, you know, I also have a really big problem justifying any sort of preemptive action, um, you know, because so let's in hindsight, it's easy to say, oh, yeah, trade one, say even one Hitler, for example, for all of the destruction that was caused during World War Two. It seems like a just on a quantity of life level like a fair trade but if you were to just wipe like the whole trope of like would you kill baby hitler too like to just wipe him out preemptively seems like a little bit um uh unjustifiable to me because you're also removing uh removing people's freedom of choice and that is if freedom is my highest value, I can't violate that. That makes sense. I think to add on to that, uh, I don't think evil can be, it doesn't just like exist within a person like they're a bad person, especially since we've already done studies on like how in the world could an atrocity like uh, the Holocaust have happened. And we've done studies where like we put college kids in the role of prisoner and victim and saw that even average college kids will torture people if an authority figure says to do so and they'll fit the role and enjoy it so maybe not every single one but most of them to the point where they couldn't even finish the study yeah. so it's stanford, like stanford yes. prison study right yeah yep yep so um yeah so it's like it just shows that it's like a human nature thing more so than like a pure evil thing it's so it's kind of like why killing hypnotized people almost it's like yeah. the fact that a single person had so much power is what's crazy more so than i guess the evil it's like I, I don't necessarily i think these people were ruled by fear and what they did and stuff like that it's like if they're in the in group then they're safe 
So it's, yeah, I feel like evil's not in the Nazi person. So even if you kill the person, it's not killing the evil. It's not killing the problem. So, yeah. I agree with that perspective a lot. I think that, uh oh, someone's at my door. I think, actually, I'm going to answer this, and then I'm going to answer, and I'm going to answer this question. Okay. <laughs> um, while you're gone, we'll look at some comments. Rose says, "Isn't that taking on the role that God typically plays in this context?" Yes, although I think some of us here would argue that even God doesn't take on that role, um, contrary to popular Christian belief. Um, <laughs> There are some of us who think that God isn't executing retribution on people, even the devil himself. Uh, Tim Kyle, can we separate the ability to commit mass evil from the person? Well, I, I guess um, I'm not sure exactly that you could go several directions with this. Yeah, you could. I mean, you could make that argument for everybody. You could also make that argument that uh, regardless of whether you're a good person or a bad person, quote, good or bad person. Um, there's a justification for restraining acts that cause destruction. So in that way, you could separate the, the uh, act from the person without passing a judgment on it. Um, but I think that, I think that if you're a truthful person, you have to admit that everybody in the world has some capacity for evil inside of them. It's just a matter of what we choose to do. Um, Rose says, it feels better to show up full of love and charity in response. Yes, although it does get that does get into some other types of dilemmas of like, where you're in a situation where it's um, love and charity will get you killed like yeah, no way out does not, yeah i mean i would still be furious like i mean if i saw somebody kill somebody else i'd be what the heck is wrong with you and i would want them to be in prison but also it's not like for punishment reasons it's just to prevent the bad action from happening again yeah it's just like if a dog bites do you hate the dog or do you tie him up like yes there's a difference right. i guess um so sad story uh just laugh over the weekend at the my alma mater the university here where I went to college there's a little sonic it's like a really small podunk Texas town there's a little sonic right there and over the weekend one of the sonic workers went out to tell this dude to stop peeing in the parking lot and uh, they got in a fight and this like 12 year old boy whipped out an AR and just shot him right there in the park when he died yeah so like this is one of those things where like okay is the 12 year old evil i mean like that's a that's a really tough question to answer of like okay what do you do what do you do with that like if the dude is gone there's nothing you can do about that the kid is probably damaged too but does that make him evil like how do we resolve those kinds of things <laughs> yeah, so I was I was going to respond to Stephanie's thought. I think that evil exists as a uh, result of happenstance and natural consequences in the world. Um, I am not a fan of uh, determinism, but I I do think that because of the way that humans learn and evolve, I almost think that we wouldn't learn how to 
better ourselves in a sense that wouldn't create a Hitler type figure unless we went through the consequences of creating the Hitler type figure and then um, realized, oh, we have serious issues. We need to understand what it means to uh, create one of those and figure out why it happened and then create a real solution. Um, I And the reason why I say that is because I think that in general, I don't think it's good to kill people and commit mass genocide to stop mass genocide from happening in general. But um, even if you did, some people are like thinking like, oh, yeah, we can stop the Holocaust from happening. I think technically the Holocaust would end up happening again later on because we stopped something from happening that exists in human nature that we didn't figure out how to resolve. Um, that's kind of my perspective on it. Um, yeah. Maybe the dog has an opinion. <laughs> you think so? <laughs> yeah. What is your dog's name, Manly, if I can ask? Bell. Bell. Yeah, she likes attention when I'm right in the middle of video. It's always <laughs> a positive experience. Um, but I mean, like, okay, so uh, to your point, it's almost like we have to prove to ourselves in reality, like, why <laughs> mass genocide is a bad idea. Although you could also make the argument that the human race has done that many times over and hasn't seemed to learn the lesson. Um and you could also make the argument that the fact that we're sitting here talking about it in the abstract is a way to decide or learn about it without actually having to do it. Um, but yeah, I think those are all good points. It's a very complicated, it's a complicated thought experiment to which we have no um, power to even experiment, right? Like we can't even say, there's no scenario in which we would be able to like well, pre-wipe out the Nazis. So at the end of the day, it really is just a thought experiment. Um, Jacob says, should attempted murder get less prison time than murder? It does currently. What do you guys think? Do you have an opinion about this? I haven't really thought about this. Um, I know a lot of people have different opinions about the, about uh, like capital punishment, maybe this is a little different. Well, I think part of the reason that you put people in jail and the, the, the length of time that you determined for putting them in jail has to do partly with how dangerous they are. And if their intent is the same and in one circumstance they fail, and then in the other, they succeed. You could, you could assume that the latter person is more dangerous, therefore should be put away for longer. It's also, I think, perhaps some, some indication of our justice system acknowledging its own limitations. Because if you've failed to kill somebody, did you really want to kill them? It's 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 kind of like people who attempt suicide, and they and they f f f f fail. Do do we often classify that as a cry for help, even though pe pe people who. Um, uh, fail at tr 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 trying to, to kill themselves um, didn't have the full knowledge 
that, that, that they want, wanted to live until they were actually in the act of doing it. Yeah, right. And a lot of times I think, you know, especially like with crimes of passion or something where it's not like highly premeditated, a lot of times people will get into the middle of a situation and be like, oh no, what have I done type of thing. But then they could also just be the wily coyote of murderers and they're just that incompetent, you know, even if they really wanted to do it. Um, yeah, that's uh, there are big questions. And I think uh, to your point about the justice system being uh, largely ineffectual in many ways, I think that's generally true of all, any type of, of human um, imposed uh justice or um consequences it's like only going to be shoddy at best no matter what you do because at the end of the day you can't change a person all you can do is try to stop them doing um doing harmful acts in society you can't actually make anyone good or make them bad i mean everybody has their own internal experience that determines what they do so the only thing you ever can do is try to restrict the possibility for further damage to other people um you know yeah and if evil is just a sign of health at least from my worldview, then having a healthier system may prevent evil like just healthier people like why do cr more crimes happen in some countries over others or more disparity in like poverty levels usually the more poverty within a or like the more contrast of money the more crime there is whereas if everybody's going through the same thing there's less crime so i think like we can do systematic things to kind of keep people out of situations in which they feel desperate enough to do bad things for the most part yeah, I think that there's also an element of, this is also something I've been thinking about lately. It's like become, in our modern society in the United States anyway, it's become like almost, um, almost forbidden to proselytize in any kind of way. Like nobody should impose their value system or their culture or their thought process or their uh, beliefs on anyone else. But I think that at the same time, while trying to be, um, I don't know, tolerant, you could say, the actual result is you're restricting the proliferation of good or better values. You know, that could transfer from one person to another through influence and through personal relationships. It becomes much harder for people to do that when everybody is like relegated to their own bubble, their own cultural circle, their own you know, uh, we are doing a lot of things in, in, in our actions to try to create, to fix those issues that you were just talking about, Stephanie, but it seems more and more um, uh, disallowed or like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, like uh, taboo to actually do it through, through cultural influence or the influence of ideas, if that makes sense. Yeah, but then wouldn't negative things also be proliferated too? Yes, I mean, that's true. But I, I think like um, trying to restrict those negative ideas in the same way of trying to restrict actions 
will be less uh, less successful than trying to allow and to promote the free flow of the positive influences. Because it's, I mean, at that, it would end up being like a whack-a-mole situation, you know? Like, instead of, instead of causing a positive influence to move through, all you're doing is trying to um, restrict or to, to um, hold back the negative ones. And all of that is largely up to interpretation, too, of what the good ones are and what the bad ones are. Yeah, I think that's hard, too, especially when people don't interpret the good ones the same. And so it's like a game of telephone until it just gets toxic for people because they don't even know what they're doing. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and that is kind of why I'm interested to talk about this kind of stuff, because you can one of the things, one of the ways that you can determine what the positive outlooks are and the negative outlooks are are by the results that you get from them and um even though christianity or the church or whatever organized religion says they claim a positive um, influence that's not always the outcome and so how you actually uh align the thinking or the philosophy or the doctrine with the results that you get in people's lives it's like um more important i think than the claim of the idea or the system of ideas i think that there's also a um in in uh, addition to uh strong economic inequality destabilizing societies which it definitely does uh, the, the, there's also the element of the uh, toleration of bad actions uh, under the guise of empathy, which, which I think is not always actually the case. It's not always just empathy. And there might be other re reasons why, why bad actions are tolerated on the part of the citizenry yeah but then also is empathy and uh and mercy the same thing because like you could be empathetic but still hold someone accountable yeah right true and the uh, on the topic of um bad actions and the one of the common arguments for for, for well, well there is no god is um that bad things happen to, to, to good people and um and i think so many people don't think about the alternative to that situation if no bad things ever happened at all, what would the species actually look like? Would we all just be automatons of good and have no free will? Yeah, that's a that is a one of the sort of core ideas um in 
the Bible of like why God created humanity to begin with, you know, a free to, uh, to have a species that were free to decide whether uh, how they wanted to live and, and whether they would adhere to the natural laws give, created by God. And you could also take the example of or the idea that if we like, let's say there is a God and let's say there is a moral code to the universe um and we're sitting here debating whether we should erase the nazis uh you all you have to do is ask the question like why god himself didn't erase the nazis you know like there must be some reason for that and i think to your point it's like it's connected to every everyone's ability to make their own decision and allowing that to play out no matter how it ends up because if if we don't do that it just ends up being automatons of goodness or prescribed goodness yeah and one thing i wonder too like i think it's a big narrative in christianity in general just to be like oh i love how god works in favor of all that's good or like works for our good and it's like well there are Nazis or like not Nazis there are Jews who like fasted to death like even when they weren't getting fed in work camps and he didn't work for their good so yeah. it's like why are people using narratives that don't apply to everyone or they may apply to them now but next year it won't and now suddenly they're having an existential crisis because they had a misunderstanding about their own belief system <laughs> yeah right yeah it's true but somebody in the most difficult situation of their entire life and then find out exactly <laughs> what they believe. <laughs> the story of Job, right? The, that's what that is, essentially. Yeah. Yep. And I do think there are there are people who, there are plenty of people who um, maintain some type of faith in a higher power in those difficult situations. Um, and you could also make the argument that people do that unnecessarily sometimes when they want to offload responsibility for things. Um, but I also don't think it's always a bad thing because there are situations in life where like you just can't shoulder the whole thing. <laughs> and it's nice to have somewhere to throw it, you know. Mm -hmm. Okay. Jacob says, the problem with evangelism is that it presupposes a superiority of a culture. And where is the line for, uh, uh, where does the line for evangelism stop? Yeah, well, that's a good question. I mean, I think a lot of people who believe in, quote, the superiority of their culture or the truth of their religion or the importance of the need to proselytize or the, the fear for the souls of the, our fellow men um, motivates them to continue at all costs. Uh, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing could be debated. Um, but yeah, for sure. Uh, when I was a teenager, I was involved in a lot of like Christian evangelism type of stuff. And some of the things that we would always be told are like, don't take no for an answer in the sense of like, um, even if somebody doesn't want to talk to you or, you know, they say, don't knock on my door or whatever, you should still try because of, you know, whatever. They need their soul to be saved. But I also think it is, while that can feel intrusive, um, 
I do think that there are times when, regardless of whether it's religious evangelism, but there are times when humans and people need to hear things that they don't aren't ready to hear or don't want to hear. Um, and sometimes somebody else trying to tell you that is the only way. <laughs> It's the only way you'll get it. So I don't know. I think outside of trying to convert people to your religion, the idea of this mimetic transfer of ideas through people, um, through uh, evangelizing ideas in general, I think is something that's necessary in humanity and that you, you won't ever be able to stop it from happening. And, and, you know, if if we if we, if we could all, uh, again, crazy thought experiment, sorry, uh, snest, uh, press a button and free all of the people of North Korea from their culture, which we, we believe to be toxic and tyrannical, uh, would we do that? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a, that is a really great question because while my highest value may be freedom, that's not everyone's highest value. And I remember I was watching um, this one girl who escaped from North Korea and she was talking about her experience. She had to like travel through the desert and like do a whole bunch of wacky, crazy, like, like sell herself to like human traffickers to get out and then like try to escape them and all this stuff. But basically she was saying by the time she got <clears throat> out of North Korea, she ended up in the U S and she was like very relieved. But then because her life had been so completely controlled for her entire life, she, the weight of decision-making on a daily basis was too much for her. Like she couldn't even choose what pants she wanted to wear because it was too stressful. And it got to the point uh, uh, that, that at true freedom made her actually want to go back to North Korea because she didn't know how to be free. And I think, you know, that's true on a real level and it's true also on a, on a, an abstract level where people People oftentimes don't actually want freedom. It's too scary and it's too much responsibility. And I, I don't really blame them for that either, you know? Yeah, I think that also connects to like learned helplessness, like the experiment with like a dog getting shocked every time he does something and they turn off the shocker so that the dog can leave the crate, but he doesn't leave because he doesn't know that it's not there anymore. So it's like you have a conditioned response in a certain environment and it doesn't, you don't just like test it every time to see if it's there anymore. You kind of expect it to be there and you stop making decisions because you feel like you'll get punished. Yeah, yeah. And even those of us who live pretty relatively free lives, you know, we have decision fatigue as well. <laughs> mm -hmm. Uh, Rose says, if all humans are capable of evil, would you remove it from yourself? Okay, so I guess if you're saying if you could just remove all your own inclination to evil, would you do it? Um, that's a good question. Uh, that's a good question. I think, ooh, I think I'm going to mute Eric. He has a little bit of an echo there. Um, mm -hmm. I think that... I think that 
If you could just remove it like wholesale, maybe, but I think, I think that at least in my own personal philosophy, it's like the work of life is to like, try to do your best to become a person who has removed evil from your heart, you know, like the desires to like destruct and destroy and all of those kinds of things, all of the like really carnal instinctual things that we all have as humans, like to like extricate them from your own desires is like the work of a lifetime. So I think that's character building in a, in a way. Um, it's just the process over time. But if I could just like immediately pluck it from myself, I think there's a, uh, maybe, maybe not because maybe there's, that's like cheating yourself out of the opportunity to like mature into a person who has chosen to be good for the sake of uh, itself, you know? It's kind of like what we were saying earlier about like the automatons. Yeah, I don't. Okay. I'll go first this time, Stephanie. Um, I, I think I'm similar to you, Emily, in that. That I mean, we can all say that. Okay, if we just pluck evil out of our abilities, um, we would all love that. I mean, obviously, it could eliminate evil from existing in the world. But then we would. I think it's automatically tied into the ability to freely choose and free will itself. So. I'm inclined to say that if you pluck evil from yourself, you're also technically plucking your ability to choose good. Um, in which case you really are just a robot um, and you're no longer a sentient individual with free will and the ability to choose right and wrong, which you're really just deleting maybe the meaning of life itself, which to me is, uh, I guess you would have to ask your purpose of what is life. But if you really think about like what all the, and like every superhero movie, like what the evil guy is, is like, he's like, I'm going to like, he's not usually someone that's like trying to like actually just murder people for fun. Usually he's got some evil plan of like, I need to make the world a better place. And I'm going to do, I'm going to murder every ability to choose right and wrong and just make people do this one thing. And it's like, okay, we clearly see that there's a problem with that. Like people, yeah. We need the ability to choose to do wrong, quote unquote, in order to have a life of love and creativity. And yeah, it's like it's kind of the same with like how you view somebody <laughs> who grew up like take, for example, um, well, uh, what's his name? Prince Harry, who grew up extremely wealthy. Do you respect him for his wealth compared to somebody like like Gary Vee, who didn't ha come from anything, but like built it, you know, it's like, you might respect Harry for something, <laughs> but not probably because he's rich, because he didn't do anything for it. You know, it's the same idea of like, not giving yourself the ability to um, what Manly was saying to choose to be a good person is the same kind of idea there. Stephanie, I think you were going to say something. Yeah, I guess that like, when I was Christian, all I wanted was like to not be human, just to like <laughs> abbreviate everything and just be with God. And I don't know, because I just viewed that as like, I just wanted to be in the stagnation of like peace. Like I knew I was in the right place doing the right thing and I didn't have to feel any shame. 
But now that I'm not, it's kind of like, well, yeah, now I don't see evil as like separating me from a relationship with a higher being. Now it's just a, a journey with other humans. So I guess it's like, at first my community was with God, so I wouldn't want to take away evil, or I'd want to take away evil to get that community. But now that I don't believe that will happen, I'm taking away my community to take away evil because then I wouldn't be human and experiencing what humans would experience. So it's like, I guess I'm just doing what wouldn't make me lonely in the end. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's valid. There's a lot of lonely people out there. Um, okay, Alexandra, I will refer you to last week's discussion in which we talked <laughs> at length about morality and whether things are binarily good or evil. Um, and a lot of comments here. Uh, remove what you know you shouldn't do. Well, yes, that gets very dicey at a certain level. Um, is evil, Rose says, is evil the extroverted result or the possibility of it inside someone? That's also a good question. I do think it is possible to, um, it, it is very difficult to be evil inside without having some result come of that. However, I do think it is possible to allow your mind and your decisions to decay inside of you before you ever do anything about them, you know? Like, it's the whole idea of, like, a, uh, you are what you eat, except for, like, you are what you think about all the time, you know? So if you, if you let yourself, um, if you don't choose good over and over again, eventually it will come out in some extroverted way, I think more often than not it's difficult to hide at some point you know who you actually choose to be yeah it's it's a it's it's a process pipeline right it's like what you think about and think about most deeply um typically becomes what you do and you, you can always sabotage bad thoughts before before they become bad actions you can also have a bad action without having a bad thought. Although I think uh, Laika's question of what is evil, I think is I think essential to this, because there's you know th things on the extremes that everybody agrees, yeah, that's evil, but but there's lot, lots of gray. Yeah. Um, yeah, there is a lot of gray. And it seems like the possibility itself is freedom, too. If it's just in our heads, that's like our ability to think about it. Yeah. Yeah, I am um, on on the spectrum. I think there's like a spectrum of everything. But um, I think in theory, if uh, if a thought leads to an action, which I think in, in general, most people would agree with, um, Probably the thought itself, if the action is evil, then technically the thought itself could be considered evil. But on a spectrum, I think most people would agree that they're not the same. But there's a lot of research on thoughts and emotions and their ability to elicit uh, certain chemical responses in your body. So if you're just contemplating on murdering someone all the time, but you never actually do it, um, you're probably going to experience certain chemical effects in your body that will um, have maybe a similar effect, which probably isn't good. You know, I mean, if you're thinking on 
hatred and sad things all the time, it's probably releasing, uh, it's, it's probably inhibiting the release of dopamine and all the positive chemicals that you could get if you're focusing on happy Eating things. donuts, for yeah, example. Yeah, exactly. Like eat, po- eat pounds of donuts instead of murdering people <laughs> if you really want to be happy. Better yeah. alternative, I guess. It is. <laughs> okay, here's a, a good point. Jacob says, I don't think we should conflate evangelizing an idea with evangelizing culture or religion. Evangelizing a culture stamps out the prior culture. Evangelizing an idea adds without replacement. Okay. Um, yeah, that is an interesting um, nuance. Although I would say it, it gets, <clears throat> we have run into the many more gray areas as to what exactly is is an idea versus culture. You know, like for example, um, in the United States, we've taken on many many cultures, and uh, you know that goes all the way from what people eat to what they do to what they wear to what they um to to their social patterns um and all of those kinds of things which can all exist together without replacing one another but then there are other things that are in direct conflict like for example um <clears throat> cultures that have a principle of human sacrifice is in direct conflict <laughs> with Western ideas of the sanctity of life. Uh, so there are some, I, I think there are some things that can um, be transmitted from person to person and culture to culture uh, without be, coming in direct conflict with each other. And for the ones that do come in direct conflict with each other, I do think that there, it is possible to prioritize uh, better ones over others, you know? Like I would say that there are cultures that are that are objectively better than others. Um, that doesn't mean every aspect of everything, but I mean that there are some beliefs embedded in certain cultures that are should be replaced. I would go so far as to say that. Yeah, I agree with Emily completely. A good example of this, um, especially uh, going along the lines of what you're saying, Jacob, is um, you're, it sounds like you're trying to differentiate the idea of ideas versus culture and religion, probably because the, uh, the whole concept of religion is stressful um, to some people. But if you think about what Jesus came and did, he was teaching lessons like, hey, you've heard eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But what I'm telling you is essentially if someone tries to screw you over or harms you, don't return that in kind don't go back and be violent against them instead turn the other cheek be a good person love them give them grace and acceptance now this is a obviously a religious leader quote unquote coming in and trying to affect culture positively where they're basically just like one person kills this person they go and kill the other if you look at a lot of the old testament scripture it's it's a lot of weird stuff like hey you killed my cow go chop his arm off because he killed my cow if you touch my girlfriend like bury her in the dirt like all all kinds of weird stuff but jesus was trying to come in and say like you all that's crap like what we need to learn how to do is if something uh, is in opposition to you or you're having a rise in emotion to because you feel like you're wrong don't respond in kind with violence or uh, equal punishment um and i think 
that ultimately religion, even though it's turned into something that a lot of people don't like, it really was originally, at least in Jesus' respect, he was coming to say, hey, let's do things a different way. Let's create a better society. And I think that's what a, a religion of essentially is and was supposed to be. We've just kind of turned it into something where it's more like, hey, we don't want you to go to hell, so please ex say I accept Jesus so you don't burn in hell for all of eternity, <laughs> which I don't think is, I actually don't think that's what Jesus was trying to do <laughs> a lot of. I don't think that was his main focus, ironically. Maybe we uh, should start a new religion around donuts. <laughs> We're getting some, some donut, well, they are, donut love in the chat here. They, they are halo-shaped, so. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's a good point. If you disagree, Jacob, uh, feel free to s explain further in the comments. Um, my dad says evangelism equals sales of your idea or culture. The buyer doesn't have to purchase. Ooh. Yes, in an ideal world, the buyer doesn't have to purchase unless it is the Inquisition yeah. and or any other type of authoritarian ramming down of some idea or culture. Um, you know, many people say that's what imperialism was, but I do think there are more distinctions to make there as well, or colonialism, um, uh, in the sense of uh, some of the ideas that were proliferated, uh, namely Judeo-Christian worldview. Um, it, there were some sketchy ways that those were <laughs> proliferated, for sure, but... Uh, largely, they have improved civilized society. So, if as long as long as that it remains true that people don't actually have to buy your idea, I think it's a good one. Uh, okay. Ian says, what up, y'all? And I'd say, what up, Ian? And a question from his own understanding. And then he didn't type a question. So, Ian. <laughs> Keeping us guessing. Keeping <laughs> us guessing. Do better. <laughs> he also said, uh, Rose is down for donut religions. Okay. Good. Thanks for fan art. Fan art. Well, I'm um, looking forward to that. Donuts okay. are gracious. Well, while we just sit here in complete silence until ian types his question no i'm just kidding um i had some well, other questions well, then, uh, oh go ahead on the on the schedule of our of our discussion let me know what, when y'all want to get, get to the neurocognitive afterlife stuff because oh, i sure. know that was one of our two uh big items at the end of the last episode so yeah, let's do it. But I just wanted to ask before we pivot away from kind of decision making and choosing right and wrong and those kinds of things. I, I did want to ask um, where you guys see the line between making decisions and making choices that affect others and then making choices for others. So, for example, you could say that you could say that. Um, making wiping away the nazis would be making a decision for people because you're just completely taking away what they would have done and just saying yoink you're not doing that um but then there are many times in many of our lives on a daily basis in fact we make decisions that affect other people whether or not we're actively stopping them from deciding something so like 
<laughs> like maybe you instead of killing the Nazis, you just gave them all like jello hands and then they couldn't do anything, you know. Like <laughs> what in what situation um in what situations do we it, it, can we is it possible to draw a line between um actually actively trying to prevent someone else's decision versus just doing something that we know will affect the people around us and when we should and shouldn't uh, um i mean it, it's inevitable we're going to influence the people around us with our decisions and with living our life Potential I mean, look spice at, that's what the movie it's a wonderful life is all about you know but at what point do we say like okay Where's the line of like, okay, that's too far. That's affecting other people too much. You shouldn't do that. Anyway, I have thoughts. I do have thoughts. I think we've become so far separated as a society that we've kind of lost touch with this. But if you think about what smaller communities might have been like um, when they existed um, and people's ability to make unethical decisions, say you catch someone um, in the in a very imminent act of maybe wanting to kill their neighbor because they're really freaking pissed off. And uh, you catch them because maybe you're living in a tribe around a bunch of tents. Okay. So it's much easier to be aware of what's going on, which I think maybe in a sense, like maybe in certain respects, society was supposed to be a lot more closer knit community where now it's much easier to be emotionally removed from other people and no matter what situation you're in. But um, I think that, uh, growing up, I used to think that um, we just need to figure out how to have everyone become a perfectly ethical person and have them make the right decisions, regardless of what anyone else is doing or saying around them. Now I'm more of a fan of like, okay, we need to take responsibility for ourselves and the people around us. And if you're working in the best interest of the people around you, I think in general, it's the right thing to do to uh, make ethical decisions, especially if there have been democratic uh, overall democratic agreements on what right and wrong is in a certain context. You know, like if you're someone's about to murder something, I think most people would agree that you should stop that person from murdering that person. You know, um, I think most people would. Um, I don't think that means you have to murder. I don't think that means you have to kill the person that's about to murder someone unless you feel like there's no other option. But ideally, you can incapacitate them in a way that um, yeah, technically you're shoot a him in the knee. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> it depends on the person, right? But I mean, if someone has a if someone has a knife and they're about to and they're walking towards someone and you're behind them, like maybe in theory, if you're very experienced with the ability to disarm someone and stop them, you can do that without killing them. Yeah, you know. But if you're like a small woman and there's some eight foot dude that's coming at yeah. you with a freaking machete, then hey, you might need to just freaking shoot the guy. But. Yeah, I, I do think you made a really good point about um, proximity, like the idea of within smaller groups and smaller communities, you have more sort of leeway or authority to make decisions that affect other people. Like, for, I mean, I think that we all understand that that's generally true is you have more um, influence in some people's lives than others. Like the like a parent should have, be allowed to make decisions that affect their kid a lot more often and more easily than like uh, the neighborhood Karen should be able to make decisions about whether you can park your truck on the street, you know, that kind of stuff. Like, 
Um, I think it, it largely has to do with um, your relationships with the person that your decision is affecting. Right. And then also the, the nature of the decision itself. It's another one of those like gray area things. I like to think about it, their state of mind as well. Like it's really obvious that I don't think anyone would ever disagree that you should be able to stop your kid from running out in the road. But if you really ask yourself like, Hey, why should a parent be able to stop their kid from running out in the road? Even the most staunch, like free will folks would be like, okay, if I break this down to the smallest scale, like, should I be allowed to stop anyone or anything from doing anything? Like yeah. should people be able to kill themselves, you know, should right. they be able to run out and do that? Most people would say you should you should be able to stop your kid from running from them running out on the road because in most cases they don't understand what it even means to run out on the road. They don't understand the danger they're putting themselves in. And um, if you extrapolate that thought, I'm a fan of thinking that in in general, I think most people that are doing quote unquote unethical behaviors that are harmful, I think that they're not in their right mind or they're sick or they are lacking the intelligence or the education that they need to make the right decisions. In which case, I feel ethical in saying, I'm going to, I have the right now to help them make the right decision because they don't have the ability to make the right decision themselves, in a sense. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you could also make the argument that that's kind of what some of the villains' stories are. Is like, I should make this decision for everyone else because they are too dumb to do it for themselves. Yeah. yeah. What, what, uh, uh, good um marvel villain (laughs) thinks that they're just going out to do evil for evil's sake right Right. it's always that they have some Some kind of noble vision yes yeah noble yeah i think that's where democratic ethical standards come into play like if like i don't think i should submit like people to my subjective perspective of what's right or wrong but um but if, if I know from a previous uh, communication that someone is like, I think killing people is bad, then I'm going to stop them from killing someone. Right. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I wouldn't necessarily like punch someone in the face if they tried to eat a donut, you know? <laughs> what if they were really, really diabetic and they had like a 600 yeah. lunch? Well, or or it, <laughs> it was a poison donut. That's true. <laughs> If I knew they didn't want to eat poison donuts, I'd punch them in the face. <laughs> okay. Um, wait. Uh, okay. I wanted to bring this up because this is funny. Uh, Jacob says to AW5794, which is my dad, Alan, the problem with selling is how far do you go to make a sale on the concept of selling ideas? And then he's <laughs> not very far. I can personally verify that that is correct. My dad did not do very much to sell me on his ideas when I was growing up, which is why here I am off in Spaceland, believing all kinds of crazy. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but no. Or he uh, could have worked too hard, and then you rebelled, and exactly. and you would have been even further. Further. All I'm saying is my dad is not coming to your door to sell anything. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, where, where was I? Where's Ian's question? Um, here it is. Ian, sorry I'm last last. It's taking me two weeks to be ready to type this question. We love you anyway, despite the fact that you're so Ooh. slow. 
Uh, question. Do you all believe the Bible is God's word? What weight does it carry when what you read there contradicts your experience? This is a really good question because it is a, a question of great contention amongst the people who have Bibles, <laughs> which is a lot of people. Um, I don't He's know. Trying to get anybody... us heresy right now. Yeah, right. He's going to <laughs> He's come in and do like a baptism for all of us. Um, uh, I have opinions, but if anybody wants to jump in first, go for it. Sure, I guess I'll go. Um, I mean, I'm not Christian anymore, and that's part of the, re I mean, that's pretty much the reason why. It's like, I didn't feel like the Bible was talking to me. It, I felt like it was increasing my neuroticism to try to fit everything and understand things that way and yeah so but i do feel like it had a lot of good wisdom and truth but i needed to like check it with something else i guess like inside of me to like really see if it resonated with the universe or nature or like how i was how my personality was designed to flourish and i guess i didn't feel like it could be customized to that degree so, but that's like an easy thing for me to say since I am not in the religion anymore. Yeah. Manly, I'm curious. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I don't think it makes sense to say, quote unquote, the Bible is the word of God. Um, I'm not going to like, if someone says that, I'm not going to tell them, hey, don't say that. <laughs> hey, you dumb dumb. <laughs> you dummy dumberkin, you know, but um, I think I think after conducting a lot of analysis and thinking about this quite a bit, I think it makes more sense that the Bible in the Bible and in Jesus word, uh, I think it claims that Jesus is the logos and the word of God. Um, and I think uh, the word of God itself is the the natural law that is written in all of the universe that aligns uh, what is objectively true to produce the most positive results in the world. And I think that can be extrapolated into nature itself and also into humanity. And I think that Jesus is the uh, embodiment of the word of God in the flesh. And in that, represented perfect natural law and what comes of it if you live it out. Um, I don't think saying that the Bible is the word of God makes, like I said, I don't think it makes sense because I think it confuses people, um, especially because anyone, this is going to sound savage, but I think anyone that really reads the Bible with an honest heart and an honest mind and uh, is willing to read it and uh, decipher it, correctly, I think they'll find a lot of contradictions that can't be explained truly um, without admitting that historically humans have evolved over a long period of time. Um, there were people that wrote things in the Bible, that their writings went into the Bible maybe five, 6,000 years ago, and there are people that wrote things in the Bible um, 1,500 to 2,000 years ago, right? Um, maybe not 1500, but around 2000 years ago. So if you think about the 4,000 years of change, you're going to have very different perspectives on what this concept of God even means. 
Um, you're going to have very different perspectives on what ethics even means. Um, the people who originally wrote in the Bible, they very savagely uh, did a lot of things that I think Jesus um, was trying to teach people not to do during his time on the earth. And I don't think that's a coincidence. There were many times in Jesus's life when he straight up said to all the Pharisees, the scribes, like, hey, you saw it said this in the old writings, but that's not how it's supposed to be. Essentially, that's what he was saying. And I think that's for a reason. Um, that's not to say that the Bible isn't inspired by God. I think I believe the Bible is 100% inspired by God, but I think humans wrote it. And if there is an enemy and the devil exists, then I think that devil has the ability to intertwine and get in the middle of all of the communications that God is trying to communicate to his people. Um, there's a lot of people in the Old Testament that, I mean, the man after God's own heart, King David, like, I'm pretty sure he slaughtered people to get with their wives, you know? So, like, clearly ethics has evolved over time. So um, that's a long-winded answer, but I read a lot of the Bible. I think it's great, but I think it does confuse people. Uh, to think that every philosophy that they have should perfectly align with exactly what every word in the Bible says, because the Bible says a lot of things that may or may not contradict itself in certain phases of itself. Yeah, I largely agree with Manly. I would say, like, I still consider myself a Christian, even though I have a lot of qualms um, with it. I would say, sure, yeah, sure. I will be willing to say the Bible is the word of God, full stop. But where I have a problem is most of the time, to Manley's point, when people talk about the Bible as the word of God, what they're actually saying is, do you believe my interpretation <laughs> is the word of God? And right. that is not, I'm not willing to get on board with because, you know, it's like um, all language, no matter what's, type of language has to be interpreted and why would we uh why there is a reason why we have so many differing uh denominations and religions who all claim to subscribe to the bible as the word of god and it's so easy to disagree is because language requires interpretation and if if in saying the bible is the word of god that means we have to agree, align in every area on every aspect on what we think that means it's going to create friction <laughs> because i mean i could write a letter to manly and eric and stephanie could disagree on what i meant by that but it doesn't have any bearing on whether i actually wrote it or what i did mean um so <clears throat> i think that is a really big struggle um, because everybody wants to argue that, you know, X, Y, Z is wrong because it disagrees with the Bible. Meanwhile, it's pretty difficult. It's pretty difficult to say anything definitively out of what the Bible actually says. I have a follow-up to, 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 to that, Emily, if I can uh, piggyback off of that to use corporate language. So sorry, I kind of hate myself, but um, but I, I was thinking about this uh, re recently uh, with regard to language and how all of language 
is just symbols, written symbols, verbal symbols, and the the, the uh, uh, effort to interpret those symbols on the part of other people and the part of ourselves and uh, tr tr try to make all that communication as sm smooth as possible. And I, I wonder also uh, how that could fit into bias, not just of individuals in our species, but the whole species altogether. Like if if we we are so symbol focused that everything that we take in has to be interpreted in this symbolic processing protocol. I wonder if there is a whole spectrum of reality the 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 that we're kind of blind to because we don't know how to interpret it outside of symbols like the uh, um, dark matter, dark energy of reality, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're very limited in our ability to communicate. Ian, as you mentioned yourself, <laughs> just humans in general, we struggle to translate what we think in our mind to something that somebody else can decipher, especially when you lack a shared um, context and a shared experience where you can actually uh, understand what somebody is saying by what they're describing. So yeah, it's a, it, it, uh, as just a generalized answer, yes, I do, but in the specifics, maybe less so. Okay. Um, Alan says, Inquisition is not Christian evangelism. What God offers us is free. So if we try to force, write, or stamp out evil, culture will be, uh, we're being, if we try to force, write, or stamp, stamp out evil culture, we are being unchristian. Okay. I can get on board with that. Uh, let's see. <clears throat> Bunch of comments, lots of laughter here. Good, glad you're having a good time. Um, Alan says, the Bible is not the word of God, but God did inspire men to record what's in the Bible. If you try to use it by itself, it will lead to things like the Inquisition. Yeah, as we've seen. Um, okay, let maybe, oh, here, Jacob says, for clarification. That, good, that last one, that, what? that was pretty good, I thought. Oh, this? Okay. The Bible is a history of how God interacted with this planet after Adam and Eve fell. It's not some sort of book of commands for us. It, Emily's dad. If accurate, that could explain many of the contradictions, right? It's almost yeah. like a, right. a interactive history with with God, as opposed to, you know, like everything in this has to line up perfectly with everything else yeah uh, yeah and i mean a lot of people look at it as literature a lot of it is poetry songs like different random different formats of writing that's like you know it's kind of more it takes a lot of shapes and forms i would but actually it, take it even further on that note of what he said and uh -huh. emily can you go back so i can see what sure. he wrote <laughs> really attest bible, to the specific yeah, the bible is a history of how god i would even take it further and say the bible is a history of humans interpretation 
of how they perceive God interacting with the planet. I mean, okay. like uh, you could you could argue that's why there are like four versions of the Gospels. You know, it's all from the different perspectives of different apostles and a lot of different subcategories of human Christianity. I mean, look at all of this interpreting crap different. I mean, yeah. Yeah, that's what I struggle with in general, because it's like if we can't get any gist of like God's nature through the Bible, that's like our anchor to like, that's like the sensory, I guess. Yeah. So it's like if we don't have that, then we are kind of just relying on natural laws and stuff. Yeah. Um. What was I going to say? I had some point that I was going to make about that. Uh. But to, I think that there's a, another uh, uh, who is it that talks about this? The idea that we shouldn't just take in Christianity, especially after um, after the uh, the um, now why have I forgotten all human words? Um, <laughs> after <laughs> after Martin Luther, uh, they the Christianity got attached to like sola scriptura, the idea of like the Bible and the Bible only. But I think it's actually better, more like what Stephanie was saying, like to take, um, uh, Tim Jennings calls it like the stool, uh, three-legged stool of um, the Bible, nature, and human experience. You have to take all of them together. Uh, what is the world telling us in feedback through nature? What are we actually experiencing? And what can the Bible offer us that benefits those two things? Um Okay, now finally, Jacob no, says, for clarification, it, I did not mean you directly. I meant in the plural. I realized the at made it more personal than I intended. Okay, we don't take it personally here. Well, maybe we'll get you on one of these weeks and you can join us. Um, Alan says, Christians almost always evangelize too hard. We should spend more time trying to teach people how to think and to struggle with God and actually get to know God. Or maybe spend more time trying to get our own lives together, you know? I know that's a hard time with that. Okay. In, um, in, you know, in, in regards to, to the different interpretations of uh, of the Bible and the you know the different sects and all that, I wonder also if that's an element of adaptation, moral adaptation to a specific environment. Like the, the this is the moral structure that succeeds in. Side of a specific uh, ecosystem, and uh, many of the animals, aka sects in the ecosystem, uh, have the adaptive traits, but that doesn't mean that they're all going to be identical species either. Yeah, right. And you can also take, I mean, like, even just something very very basic that most people can get on board with jesus said like you know love god and love your neighbor as yourself like even that we can't agree on what does that mean some people say you know loving someone is like leaving them alone and letting them do their thing some people says loving them is like telling them all the ways that they're sinning so you can save them some people say loving people is like you know creating all of these uh barriers and structures to prevent bad things from like even something that simple it's difficult to get on the same page about so it's no wonder in the entirety of a whole book or a whole 
history of um, philosophical thought. People can't get it on the same page. Okay. Jacob says, yeah, we have a disconnect. I disagree with the notion that any of the major cultures or religions are superior to one another. And I think it leads to Western or Russian imperialism and other things. Yeah, I, I definitely see that opinion. I've heard it a lot. I do think we probably disagree there. Um, maybe we could get into that a little further if you want to hop Yeah, I'm, I'm curious as to why the, those two specifically, Western slash Russian, I get, I get right. As, is he saying Russia is kind of Western and also the reverse? And oh right, right, right. Not, and or, also, I guess I would ask too, like, um, is all imperialism bad, or specifically Western and Russian imperialism? You know. I would ask this dude if he thinks that we shouldn't at least try to stop Hitler from murdering everyone, or does he think <laughs> that culture is super chill? <laughs> okay. Well, hopefully he'll answer us, Jacob. You can answer. <laughs> you can answer I mean, Hitler. Like <laughs> the question: is so Are Nazis Western super culture. chill? Please answer. <laughs> yeah, Jacob. Let's hear it, bro. <laughs> um. Okay. So maybe now let's go to uh, Eric's question or thoughts about time dilation. Yes. So the whole idea, and mainly read my mind on this as soon as. So as soon as I brought it up, um, it's it's fu 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 funny because I think um, Manly and I have a similar wor worldview, but St 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 Stephanie and I have s s similar temperaments, and then I fit fit into uh, Emily's uh, uh, qu qu quadrant somewhere in there, but. Um, but, but the uh, thought I had was in, in relationship to, to the fact that when we're in some kind of a, a horrific accident, say, uh, we, we have an adrenaline rush that tends to sl sl slow down time. So that the, there was a st story uh, I, I told hold on the street stream about a cyclist who was able to write a poem to, 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 to the beat of his helmet bouncing down the road. That's how time dilated he was. And as we die, it's, it's, a, it's a rush of brain chemicals, right? DMT and all of that. And that will almost inevitably uh, lead to more time dilation, which could cause us uh, to, 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 to reflect on our natural moral instincts, if that's a thing. And uh, impose a self-made uh, heaven or hell uh, as we, we Think about all of the consequences of our time on Earth, and um, in that re respect, uh, heaven or hell, practically speaking, doesn't have to be a other dimension or something. It, it, it can be in our own mind, and the c consequences of our 
church choices in life become practically the same any thoughts on that well that's wild <laughs> um <laughs> i i think that you know for me it's very difficult to separate like what we describe as actual re real experience versus the experience of the mind you know um i think that i, I think that all of us have had some experiences where <clears throat> something is very vivid and very real in your mind and yet it's not in the physical world so i could see i could see a scenario where that is um where that is a possibility and i was also i was also think uh watching for some reason today i was watching a lot of videos of like survival stories of like people who were lost at sea for like 15 uh. months and then they were rescued or whatever um but one of the guys was saying he was out in like a little uh emergency raft for like 75 days or something and he was like, uh, yeah, I was pretty miserable and like I was super hungry and thirsty and like um, just trying to catch fish and eat them and stuff. But at the same time, it was a very spiritual experience of just like looking out at the ocean and having nothing going on other than to just think about existence. And, you know, it was both heaven and hell at the same time kind of thing is what he was saying. You know, like where <clears throat> and I think I think people describe this often when they're in really bad situations like um you know like people who are in prison camps or whatever where they're in a really bad physical situation even if it's not like um like time dilation where your life flashes before your eyes or whatever but where you can experience both something extremely extremely negative but something extremely like transcendent at the very same time um yeah, the mount the the mind is a very very powerful thing. What, what if hell is a bad trip, basically? Yeah, I mean, like, who am I to know? I can't prove it. What were you gonna say, Stephanie? Oh yeah, I was thinking like my mind kind of went there too with like uh, like pleasure and pain is supposed to be very similar physically in the body. It's only our narrative that makes it a pleasurable experience or a painful one, like one to be avoided or one to be sought out, kind of like anxiety. It's like anxiety on a roller coaster is thrilling, but anxiety in a dark haunted house is unwanted. So I wonder if like with like the adrenaline at the end of life and if you're, if you were to reflect on your stuff and like on your life and feel anxiety, it would probably be a negative feeling. But if you felt confident and if you were proud, then it would probably be happy. And I don't think there would be any objective truth that would check you. It's just subjection or is that a word? Subjectiveness, whatever. Yeah. I don't know you make that a noun. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do think, right. Your state of mind in general probably has a lot to do with what you experience in those moments, you know? Um, it's probably not universal. I, I think if you hold a lot of guilt about your life or a lot of anger or resentment or whatever, um, you'll have a little bit of a different experience that, than somebody who's like found a way to be at peace with 
all the circumstances of their life. Although I would say that everybody, apparently, you know, when you die, it's the whole thing of like evacuating all of your organs. So there you go. Everybody has that across the board, that negative experience. (laughs) Eric, uh, so I just wanted to clarify. I wanted to completely understand your perspective. So basically you're talking about the concept of heaven and hell. You're kind of materializing it to where it's not this concept of an alternate dimension of any sorts. Um, No quantum. Well, maybe there are some quantum physics involved, but. Um, not multi-dimensional aspect maybe, but, um, essentially your dimethyltryptamine and all the other chemicals are doing magic and you're experiencing what could be a bad hit that leads to like your brain going into like raw fundamental data of all the good and bad that you've ever done. And you're experiencing the consequences real time of those. Um, and maybe the, maybe the explanation would be like a, collective unconscious of sorts where your brain can tap into some data that maybe it couldn't when it's fully conscious of its physical self, something like that. Are you like kind of implying that type of vibe going on? Yeah. And, and it's, it's partly because you know, when, when people say, uh, 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 you know, like, like in another dimension, for example, yeah, which is like a, a popular sci-fi concept, but but scientifically, to to my, my mind, it it doesn't make any sense because there's you know four dimensions if you include time, and then and then the way that that's rationalized or talked about is like it's the space. Space above, the space below, the space between spaces, and it's like you know we're uh, you know I I, 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 I don't think um, many of the people who talk about heaven and hell this way uh, have a a, a specific idea about it that they believe has to be right, like they you know they don't pretend tend to understand all of the mechanics behind it but i think that for me it's it's a b- better ex- explanation to say if heaven and hell is real it's it's pro- probably mo- mostly in your own head and the the way way that i think about it is a vertical asymptote on on a graph where, where the y-axis is your perception of time and, and the x-axis is actual time past, right? So as, as you die and these chemicals get, get released theoretically, and you become infinitely time dilated, so 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 so, so such that you perceive infinity, whether or not it is actually happening. That's an interesting perspective. I mean, it makes sense. I've read a lot about examples where people, you know, people go under in surgery and they feel like they were there for like 20 years and then like a wake up and they're like, oh no, it's been like three hours. Narnia. 
<laughs> yes, Narnia. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's a great objective example. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, but I mean, like, yeah, I, I, I think people try to replicate that with drugs, but then people also do often say, you know, like, when they have like a near death experience or whatever, they experience some sort of like heaven or hell type of thing. I mean. Mm -hmm. To be honest, I'm not really looking to try to f create one of those experiences, um, <laughs> but maybe we'll find out when we all inevitably meet our demise. <laughs> I don't know. I personally, I, uh, I mean, I think it's an interesting theory, and I'm not, not willing to say that I disagree uh, with the, the possibility of it. Personally, I'm prone to... Uh, like the idea of the whole matrix idea or like Tron or whatever, like where, where we're living in a, in an encapsulated reality that will at some point end and then we'll find out about a different reality outside the matrix. But, you know, it's a similar thing where I can't really prove that. It's just what I, what sounds most um, fulfilling <laughs> to me, I guess. Okay, um, did anybody have anything else on time dilation? I don't wanna cut you off here, but Jacob says, I just don't understand how we can rationalize away the validity of only the only communication God gave us and keep the beliefs of it. They seem inextricable. Um, yeah, that's a good point. I, I think that the rigid way that most people believe in that communication, which I, I think you're still talking about the Bible. Um, I, I do think, I do think that, I do think that you can hold both. You can hold both concepts. At least I, I think I can hold both concepts that the Bible is both, um, a valuable resource given to us by a, uh, through communication bias the supernatural and also that the beliefs that we derive from it are often incorrect you know <laughs> I think that uh, I think that it's just like a complicated enough idea that even if we think we're being coherent oftentimes we're not being coherent like me right now for example <laughs> yeah. I uh, I had a few points on that earlier, Jacob. Um, I might I might be misunderstanding to a certain extent of what you're saying, but um, I have a few differing beliefs than like the standard Christian uh, folk. But I still consider myself a staunch Christian, and I uh, I have a like a, a certain leadership role at a Christian church. So um, my perspective on this is that Jesus himself, I don't think he wrote anything in scripture. Um, I'm not sure that I'm not certain that wasn't for a reason. I think humans tend to want to gravitate towards the easiest possible solution, whether that's the right thing or not. And I think maybe there's a chance that Jesus knew that um, words can be misinterpreted and they can also be locked in and treated as though they are uh, concrete and perfectly accurate but the truth is that language evolves over time and it always has and it can be interpreted in certain ways especially when it's written down and people start treating it like uh 
it's the only way that certain things can be interpreted. Um, there are certain scriptures in the Bible itself that say things about how you shouldn't do that. For example, I, I know of a few, um, but like, for example, Jesus, when, before he ascended, he said, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He'll speak only what he hears and what, uh, he'll tell you what is yet to come. So essentially what this is saying is Jesus was trying to say that when uh, he left, he was the Holy Spirit, which um, whether like you can interpret it any way, whether you're a Christian or not, like in general, Jesus, he didn't say there's a big, big old fat book that's going to be stacked together for you to read that it's going to guide you to the truth. He said the Holy Spirit is going to guide you to the truth, which you can see it as your consciousness. You can see it as sentience. You can see it as your heart and your awareness of right and wrong. Um I think this concept of the Holy Spirit is true. I think it's, I think it is a sentient uh, force that is God that's within all of us that guides us to the truth. But I think it's important to note that Jesus said that um, for one. And um, I think that's something that a lot of us stifle. In fact, if you talk to a lot of Christians about like reading the Bible and reading scriptures, like, Hey, Jesus commanded these people to dash the baby's heads on the rocks and like, go over and like slaughter all the like slaughter all those people don't leave a child or a woman like slaughter them like okay when you feel yourself inside reading that like okay would god really tell someone to go and slaughter this other group of people like i think most people would say like oh that feels a little wrong most christians who read scripture by the quote-unquote dead letter they would say like yeah sorry but that's what it says so god works in mysterious ways you know yeah Um, but I also think that there are, I, I think that not only God, but <clears throat> the humans who wrote the Bible have a level of sophistication, you know, that often is lost in religious interpretation. So like, for example, just take like a kid's cartoon movie as an example. Most of it as at a level of understanding that kids can like follow what's happening along with you know, the basic story. But then you come back and watch it as an adult and you're like, oh, ha, I see a lot of innuendo, a lot of jokes that I did not get when I was a kid. There are meanings embedded in there that I was not tracking um, and now I am. So I think it's very possible that there's a lot of that kind of stuff where it's like, you know, we, we always think that we're at the pinnacle of like, you know, all time enlightenment, you know, it, maybe it'll go up from here, but at this time, this is the highest pinnacle. Um, but I think there are a lot of things that we just really, we don't have a Modern arrogance. Yes, precisely. Yeah. We're yeah. the best, man. We're the best oh, yeah. that we're going to be. And therefore, <laughs> you should all listen to us. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but Stephanie, yes. Um, in, in your mind, Stephanie, what, what is God? Can you default? find him her it if it exists yeah i would say it's for me it's a spiritual energy that i think it's love and i think that that has a life energy it's basically what makes us feel alive and like we can connect to that and be more vivacious or we can make decisions or choices that result in less liveliness or just like a lack of sustainability, I guess. And that's as far as I can define it. I don't know how to get more specific than that. 
Yeah. I like that. I, I think that I think that a hazard. I mean, I would say something like this, but a hazard for most people, I think, is defining down too far too fast. You know, if you leave it at that basic level, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think there's, you know, there's an an atheist uh, straw man about God. You know, it's like invisible magic sky fairy, right? The that's what all the Christians think. God is right. Mm, turns out, no. <laughs> In fact, perhaps m- most of them don't think that. Um, and uh, I, I think that the, 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 there are ways to 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 uh, define God that may make it v- uh, much harder to say. Um, God does not exist. Now, it, it, is that a cop out? I'm I'm not sure, but but that that to me is 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 important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think like personalization of God is where it can get like hard to define or prove. But we could also have a depersonalized idea of God, which is very vague and hard to prove or disprove too. <laughs> So it's like the more claims you make, the harder it is. Everything is hard to prove or disprove. (laughs) I agree with that. Even things that seem blatantly evident to me are hard to prove or disprove. Yeah. (laughs) I just think the less claims made, the healthier it's going to be. Because also, (laughs) like, when I think about, like, therapy, for example, it's like when you give advice or, like, try to convert somebody to a value, First of all, it just blatantly doesn't work. Like people resist that. And so, but uh, therapy that's more like person-centered, like more like you're walking beside the person. You're not telling them what to do. You're not giving them answers, but they just feel like they're not alone. Helps people be ready to change for themselves. And I kind of think of God like that. Like he's not somebody that's telling us what to do or where to be. Uh, It's somebody who is next to us experiencing things with us so we kind of have like a source of like comfort and like rightness no matter what stage we're in yeah cool i think that's a good note to end on does anybody else have any pressing important things to address before we round this one up (laughs) okay well yeah, Eric, I really appreciate you coming on and coming back again for a second week with some interesting and titillating thoughts. Um, hopefully we will have more continued interesting discussions. And those of you who are listening back after the fact, make sure you join us live. Um, we have at least two more weeks of this, and then we'll see where we go from there. This is the fourth. We planned on six, um, and then we'll reassess. So if you want us to keep going, you have to butter us up and tell us how cute we are and like how smart and cool we sound and that we definitely shouldn't stop. Um, Until next week, we'll see you guys later.